Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bienvenidos, señores y señores, to another episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast. This episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season, as we have you covered on all your insider sports wagering needs, from basketball, MLB, NHL, hockey, golf, to UFC and boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. So get into the action today, head to the website, or use your mobile device to join, and be sure to use our promo code, BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Ben Online, where the game starts. And joining us on the Carina Sala, this is going to be a real treat, ladies and gentlemen. He is an all-star. He's a three-time world champion, World Series MVP. And for me, I think one of the most impressive things is He's a winner of the Roberto Clemente Award, and that to me is an award that should carry a lot of significance, more significance than it already does. But he got his number 34 retired with the Oakland A's. He's a part of the Oakland A's Hall of Fame. Dave Stewart, ¿cómo estás, amigo? Yo estoy bien, gracias. Ah, look at that. Already. He gets, he gets the show. He gets the show. Real, real quick, before we get into the natural stars, uh, Dave, I just want to ask you, how important is it to speak Spanish in the dugout in in baseball nowadays? Well, I think, you know, with the, with the population of Hispanic players uh, in the game, um, and they're not just part of the game, the Hispanic players are becoming the game. On every team, they're superstars in the game. I believe that it's very important to be able to speak Spanish um, in the dugout and, and, quite frankly, in the clubhouse. Um, as much as you can, as much as you can learn, I, I really think it's valuable. Uh, that's that's great. I really appreciate the effort. And your Spanish is pretty good, my friend. <laughs> you know, I've been working with uh, with a team in, in Mexico in the Summer League uh, for the last seven years, Monclova. Oh, okay. Um, and so I've spent uh, spent quite a bit of time in Monclova over the summers. And then as a young player coming up in the Dodgers organization, it was important for us to play winter ball. And so I had uh, uh, one winter that I played in, in uh, Mazatlan, and another winter I played in Ciudad uh, Obregón, and um, I played in Cuyacan. Um, and then, uh, you know, the Dodgers had a working agreement with Licey, in the Dominican Republic, and um, I had two winners. This is crazy history right here, isn't it? I had two, I had two winners in Venezuela in uh, Caracas, and uh, one one winter in Maracaibo, and um, and then I finished out my winter league career after my second year in the big leagues in Bayamon in, in uh, Puerto Rico. So I've played quite a bit of winter ball. I've continued to have relationships um, in Latin America and. You know, with the Padres, uh, when I worked for the Padres uh, in a in a executive position, 
um, I was actually the person that uh, formed their working relationship with Yucatan and Merida mm. and um, was the purchaser of their uh, land for their current academy in the Dominican Republic. So, um, you know, I spent quite a bit of time. When I lived, when I played uh, for Licey, I actually lived with Manny Moda and his family. Oh, wow. So, yeah. so l l let me ask you this, Dave, because you're not the first person that has brought this up. When we, we had Dale Murphy on the show, and Dale Murphy raved about winter ball. And he was mm -hmm. just like, hey, e every guy should should play winter ball because he just says the experience, the environment over there is completely different. It, did you sense there was a difference in, in intensity in winter ball compared to the major leagues? Or what is the big difference between winter ball and playing in the majors with with the best of the best? Well, you got to remember, man, I played when I was playing winter ball, you know, we're talking the mid 70s to the early 80s i played winter ball until 1983 and so in that period of time your major league players your, your your dominican major league venezuelan major league your mexican major league players were playing winter ball like from day one until the end you know now occasionally in the winter leagues you may get one of your young major league players to play from uh after that what we call the second half of the season um, but not full season so when i was playing winter baseball it was like playing major league baseball and the atmosphere was electric um the fans were full of full of uh the stands were full of fans um and it was competitive the cities were competing against each other you know, um, it was electric. It was a great atmosphere. And quite frankly, um, I will always attribute playing winter baseball to my biggest adjustment at the major league level and not having that panic or that fear or anxiety of what it would be like to play my first major league game. I felt like I'd already had that by playing winter ball. You mentioned Manny Moda. Uh, for you young whippersnappers who are watching this or listening, and you may not know this, but Dave Stewart was drafted by the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's he's a product of the Dodgers. And so Manny Moda to us is, is a legend, and he was recently recognized at Dodger Stadium. Uh, I think it took way too long to recognize his contributions. Manny Moda, what was your relationship with him? Because to us, you know, people know he's a great pinch hitter, but there's a lot of players, young players playing now, who say they owe a lot to Manny Moda. Was Manny Moda always just kind of like a coach, even when he was still playing? Well, he was. It, it, people, it, people who know him intimately call him Papa, mm -hmm. and they call him that for a reason because Manny was like a father. Um, he, like I said, I lived in his home. I ate his food. I grew up with his children, um, and he was so helpful to me in learning the do's and the don'ts of the game. Um, we in the Dodgers organization separated ourselves from other organizations. We always prided ourselves in being the best. And there was a brand and a style and a way that the Dodger players played, how they carried themselves, how we dressed. Um, and um, Manny um, was educational in helping me to understand that level of play that level of how we carried ourselves what we should do and what we shouldn't do and so he was very helpful to me 
How common was that, Dave? I hear stories nowadays of like young kids, especially if they're in the minor leagues, they're living with like six or seven other people and they got like air mattresses all over the living room. I mean, for a veteran like Manny Moda to open his his house to you, was, was that common? Like when when you were in the major leagues, did, you, did that still happen? Or is that just a product of that era? You know, with a, with a, with a, with a, 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 a current player, he was a, a teammate for me at that time, believe it or not. He was not part of the coaching staff at that time. He was a teammate. Uh, he and Vic Davalillo were our left and right-handed uh, pinch hitters at that time. And so for, for uh, him to open his home to me, um, I, I just felt that that was, it was unbelievable. Um, I don't know if it was special at that time or not. I felt like I was being treated special. And I felt that there was um, an affection for me um, with Manny bringing me into his home and, you know, adopting me into his family. Um, and I, I, I couldn't feel any other way than special. Well, I want to segue to because you are a board member with Music City Baseball, and this is why we wanted to talk to you on the on the show because you're working on trying to to bring the the uh, an expansion team to Major League Baseball, which would be called the the Nashville Stars, hopefully. Um, but you also lead a diversity and equity ownership initiative, and what I it's it's primary focus is looking for minority investors, right? Well, my primary focus is looking for investors in general um, because, I mean, we're not separating um, how we fund this team, but my goal, um, I would like to to break a barrier, another barrier in baseball, which is to have majority black ownership um, with focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so um, it's my primary focus is to, to... try to put together that group of minority candidates out there that are of high net worth that have an interest in sports and have an interest in sports ownership and have an interest in sports ownership with one of the oldest professional games that have been played, which is baseball. Um, And so that's where my focus is. Um, And, you know, Major League Baseball, 75 years after Jackie Robinson, we still don't have uh, black ownership, and I don't really think that we have in the sport what I would call diversity, um, a diverse ownership group, um, and that's what we plan to put together here um, with the focus being on minority black ownership, but diversity, including um, everybody, to help make this uh, 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 a, a change in, in Major League Baseball. Well, you know, uh, my my co-hosts weren't able to join me, but on this show, this is produced. Everybody on here, we're all Latin, we're all Latinos, right? And mm-hmm. and I think sometimes we get the word diversity is viewed as a bad word, which I don't mm-hmm. understand why. I think being diverse brings different opinions, and it makes the product better. So exactly. when when you are saying, you know, you're looking for diversity. Do you get grief sometimes? Uh, uh, do people ever go up to you? Well, why hasn't it be? Why does it have to be diversity? Why can't you just get the best for for the job? Well, well most people, um, and, and, and I'm not. I, the truth is, I'm not catching any grief at all. Believe it or not, and we're in Nashville, Tennessee, which you would think 
when you speak about diversity, black ownership, uh, you would think that it's coming out of the woodworks there. But, you know, Nashville is a, is a changing city. Um, the growth and the migration of people from across the country, California, um, Arizona, Los Angeles, people are moving there and they're migrating there. We get some of the major businesses and are, are coming there with Oracle and Google and Apple, and are, they're all creating a bigger and larger presence there. And, and because those things are happening, um, Major League Baseball um, is looking at Nashville as being a, 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 a major territory for Major League Baseball, the major market for Major League Baseball. And so, no, I'm, uh, you're right, though. When, when you speak about diversity or a diverse ownership group, people think that it does not include Caucasian, it doesn't include white, that it's exclusive of them uh, versus inclusive of them. Uh, I see diversity in the exact same way you, that the exact same way that you do. It's inclusive of everybody. And but once again I've also prefaced it. This may be the area where I catch a little grief when I say majority minority black ownership. People look at that and they think when we're talking about white people, Caucasian, they think that we don't want them to be involved or be included, and that's not the case at all. That's why, you know, I have stressed that there is a focus on diversity and inclusion um, in this effort. And so, you know, when we put this group together, as you said, it will be a group of all people. 51% um, is is the focus of, of black ownership, but then there's another 49% that includes everybody. Yeah, I mean, look, to me, I mean, you're preaching to the choir. And, and one of the things that I want our audience to know is this isn't something new to you. This is something back in as of early 2000, you were talking about this kind of stuff. I mean, yes. you were a GM. You were the general manager for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And for the fact that, I mean, out here in Los Angeles, Magic Johnson is part owner. One of the things that I found really interesting was last year, Mookie Betts wore a shirt saying he wanted to see more African-Americans playing baseball. I was surprised it was not a bigger deal because to me, yeah, I feel we've lost a lot of athletes to the NBA and to the NFL. And there's probably a variety of reasons why we have. But if those athletes were playing baseball, wouldn't that make baseball a, a better sport? You would believe that it would. I mean, we're, we're called the Nashville Stars, and a lot of people may know or they may not know. I mean, the Nashville Stars were a Negro League team that played baseball in, in Nashville in the 40s and the 50s. Um, you know, we have a relationship and a partnership with the Negro League Baseball Muse Museum in Kansas City. Um, you know, we're planning to do a 42,000-seat stadium, um, and that is in in um, honor of Jackie Robinson. And so this whole initiative is really about paying homage to the Negro Leagues um, and breaking that barrier that Jackie Robinson broke 75 years ago, but now we want to do it at a bigger level, which is in ownership. Um, we believe that our, 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 our brand and who we are and what we stand for, we believe that that outreach will be a way to get more black kids playing the game, um, more minorities playing the game in general. Um, and so, I mean, there's a lot to what we are trying to do uh, with Music City Baseball and the Nashville Stars. So who came up with that? Because I think it's genius uh, what you guys did. 
because not only now do you get people talking about the Negro Leagues, you know, remembering those players who were great that didn't have a platform back then. And a lot of people didn't know them out here in L.A. I, I wish the Dodgers would do that more. There was a Mexican team called the Choriceros that were here in L.A. before the Dodgers. <laughs> I, I, I wish they would reach out and embrace so more people would know the story about the Choriceros. So the fact that you guys are embracing the name of the Nashville Stars, I think it's fantastic because now it forces everybody, hey, you young kids who don't know about the Negro Leagues, hey, that was a league that was just as good as Major League Baseball. Well, we don't know a lot about it. And so who who came up with that idea? You know, I wish I could say it was me, but it wasn't. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have a, I have a, the other co-managing partner of, of the of Music City Baseball and Nashville Stars. His name is John Lohr. Uh, John um, was uh, is a close friend of mine. Uh, moved from uh, Northern California to Nashville, and as things would have it, because John is always thinking of something. Um, rumors started uh, circulating that Nashville was was um, going to be a part of uh, the expansion conversation. John started doing his homework, found out that there was a team in Nashville that was named the Nashville Stars. We started talking more serious about bringing baseball to Nashville. Um, and um, I connected John. Uh, with my close friend Bob Kendrick at the Negro League Baseball Museum, we started talking about who the Nashville Stars were. Because if you know a Negro League Baseball, there were a lot of stars, you know. Um, so, but we found out that there was a team in Nashville called the Nashville Stars. John sought out um, who owned the name. He found the people who owned the name, purchased the name from uh, the two women, and um, that's how we became the Nashville Stars. So how soon would we have a decision as to whether you guys get awarded an expansion team? Well, it's always it's always been around what the A's and what the Tampa Rays do. Um, the A's uh, have now moved at least their focus from downtown Oakland, uh, the Howard Terminal area to Las Vegas um, to, to possibly building a stadium in Las Vegas. And so let's for the for for the time being say the A's are now off the off the market and they have potential to build a stadium in Las Vegas. Tampa uh, was also faced they were facing the same predicament as the A's. Um, they uh, need to find a new facility to play baseball in. Um, and talks from what I understand are going well in Tampa. Uh, to build a new stadium, there's a group in Orlando that's talking about possibly taking the team from Tampa and moving them up to the Orlando area um, in a new facility. Um, but once Tampa um, has has figured that out, um, then the conversation of, of expansion will start to surface even more. Uh, but we got some pretty good momentum when Oakland um, announced that they were moving to Las Vegas. Um, we started to get some pretty good momentum, and we expect that it will really heat up once Tampa declares what they're going to do. So, Dave, why not relocate some of these teams, like you had mentioned, who are struggling instead of expansion? I mean, is there an appetite? Do I mean, is 30 teams already seems like it's a lot of teams in the league. Do you, do you think the game will improve with more teams? 
Well, I believe, as the commissioner does, and this has been a part of Rob Manfred's uh, program since he took office, he's always talked about uh, having a two-team expansion at some point in baseball. He feels that it's a better fit with two teams. Um, he's talked about realignment of, of baseball in general, um, which means you would have more divisions. Um, and um, and so, um, I mean, Tampa or Florida, they're really a, a good market for baseball. And so, you know, if you're in Nashville, which we are closer to the east, um, you'd be talking about, you know, with Tampa and, and their, their, their stadium issues, Tampa, you would think, is, is, a, is a likely team to talk about relocation. Uh, but um, at the same time, you'd be taking Tampa out of a great market. Um, once again, a growing area. People are going to flop to Florida in bunches. Um, and it, it, it really is. North of Florida is a great market for baseball. So, you know, Tampa will remain there. And Oakland, um, that would be exactly what they're doing. They're going to Vegas, which uh, I believe that Vegas was one of the um, focuses of expansion as well. And so, you know, what the commissioner would probably have to do is is, uh, focus on on another territory for expansion. But um, it has been his plan since day one to have a two-team expansion. So you've been engaging with a lot of the people of Nashville, right? Because it's important for you that this this franchise represents those people of Nashville. Mookie Betts is from Tennessee. We've talked to Mookie. Mookie has told us that where he lived, it was a melting pot. And you even mentioned yourself that Tennessee is changing. Is there a huge appetite for baseball in Tennessee? It seems like it's football country over there, but is that the little known secret that there are baseball heads over there in Tennessee? I mean, you would think that, but, um, you know, Memphis has there has an NBA franchise there that is doing well. Um, in Nashville, the city has the Titans, uh, but they also have hockey, and who would have thought that hockey could come to Nashville and be successful, and it has been. Um, over the last two years, they now have a soccer franchise that's doing well there as well. And so Nashville um, is a great sports town. Um, the NFL draft was held there a couple of years ago, and that brought some half a billion people to Nashville uh, to celebrate the NFL draft. And so, and that's not even uh, a, what we would call a, a, a proper sports um, activity. And so we believe that Nashville is a great sports town. Um, the winter meetings have been held in Nashville over the years. Um, for as long as I can remember, winter meetings have been held there. And so you've got the Nashville Sounds there, um, their minor league AAA team, which has set uh, minor league attendance records uh, year after year. So we believe that Nashville is a great sports town. Well, you know, to me, it, I – it's interesting because I think ownership, sometimes we take it for granted. It is very important who owns these teams. You had mentioned it before. I mean, what's happening in the city of Oakland, for them to lose the Warriors across the bridge to, to San Francisco, they lose the Raiders. I, you know, unfortunately or, unf- or fortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, I am a Raiders fan. Um, and now they're gonna, they might lose those Oakland A's. And Dontrell Willis has been very vocal I mean, that, that is a franchise that you had key moments of your career with. Uh, I mean, it, there's just no way to, to save that situation in Oakland, right? 
I don't think so. Um, uh, you know, I'm I'm like Don Trell. I mean, I hope and I pray that that uh, something will change, and that uh, they will turn their focus back to the Oakland area. Um, you know, the original ballpark that they had uh, talked about in the ballpark area, they were talking about 55 acres of land in downtown Oakland. Um, now they've been reduced to Las Vegas of nine acres of land. Um, and so, I mean, it's not even apples for apples. This is literally apples and oranges when you're, when you're talking about amount of land that you had in Oakland to do a stadium and, and a baseball atmosphere versus what you're, what you're getting in Las Vegas. Um, you know, they've had binding agreements in two different places now. And now they finally settled on a third place. There's still some separation in, in how they're going to raise enough money to do the stadium. So, I mean, it's not a done deal yet. Um, I, you know, the city of Oakland, uh, the mayor has said that if Oakland wanted to to open up conversations, that they're more than welcome to do that. That they're close to having the situation done in Oakland. That they can get a stadium done. They believe that they can get a stadium done within the next two years there. So Oakland is open to having the A's back and to negotiate this thing down um, in its final stages. Um, Las Vegas, um, they're, they're going to have to raise more money there to get this thing done. Um, and as I said, I'm born and raised in Oakland. Uh, my number is retired as an Oakland A there. Um, you know, the best years of my career were held in the eight years that I played for the A's. Uh, being a native and, and, and growing up on the A's, I'm hoping that they can figure out a way to, to, to keep it in Oakland. You know, I mean, you're, you, you mentioned you're born, raised in Oakland. I think the perception with the A's leaving is that, well, the fans didn't support them. And I, I that's just not been my experience in Oakland. I feel like those are diehard sports fans there that will support their teams. How did this situation happen, Dave? I mean, I know I've been to that stadium. That stadium, I don't want to say it's a dump, but I don't. I mean, you played there. Is that a stadium conducive to playing baseball? Well, it was when I played there. Yes, but <laughs> I played there in the mid eighties. Um, it is. It is not. It's not a. It's not a, a, a. It's not a great place to play baseball today. Um, and so they definitely need a new stadium to play in for sure. Um, the fan base um, that was there when when I played, you know, we were thirty five to fifty thousand strong um, every day, um, similar to what you get at Dodger Stadium. Um, and I think anybody and everybody understands that people want to be able to relate to somebody. They want to have players that they know, players that they can hang their hats on and talk about. And it's been it's been a it's been a turnstile for the A's over the years. Um, because not a lot of money has been put into the team. And so you're having great players that go on to be all-stars at other places and gold glovers and batting titles and uh, potential Cy Young Award winners that were originally Oakland A players and they're being traded to other teams for prospects. And that hasn't set well with the fan base in Oakland. Um, the ownership is now um, one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. Um, and, you know, when you look at, you know, Mr. Fisher being a, a billionaire, quite frankly, he's one of the richest owners in the game um, and, and not being able to sustain um, the, 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 the type of 
of leadership and that the A's fans have been used to. I mean, you know, a prime example was the Haas family in my period of time. They were owned by Levi Strauss and the Haas family and, and doing whatever it took to continue to put a good brand of baseball on the field. And fans have not really appreciated the way that Mr. Fisher has gone about um, the the team over the last few years. And so what I do know is that if Oakland's got a winning team, uh, the fans will come out. Um, but the fans right now aren't supporting what they're seeing um, in ownership at this time in Oakland. I want to be very respectful of your time, so I want to start wrapping things up. Uh, you've been great. Uh, there's just a couple of questions I have for you. Um, to me, it's a very big deal winning the Roberto Clemente Award, and and you are a recipient of that. Uh, you know, it's it's been a long time, and some of us never saw Roberto Clemente play. What does the name Roberto Clemente mean to you? Well, Roberto Clemente, I mean, as simple as it can be, um, the award exemplifies, um, in my opinion, greatness on and off the field. Now, I don't consider myself to be great on the field. I was good on the field, but I do consider myself to have been great off the field and in my community and giving up myself, giving up my time, giving up my money to my community to be sure that I'm enhancing the lives of other people. Roberto Clemente was a great baseball player who happened to be a tremendously great human being, and he lost his life helping people. Um, and there's no greater, there's no greater tribute, there's no great, no no bigger homage that, that you can pay to an individual. Um, he was just the absolute best, um, and um, to have the opportunity to say that I am a Roberto Clemente Award winner. Um, ranks probably as the top award that I've ever received in baseball um, because, you know, you get paid to play baseball, um, and but you don't get paid to be a good human being. Um, that should be a part of your cloth and who you are. Um, and um, I've taken great pride in um, being a, a servant to my community and to people and to try to respect everything that Roberto Clemente stood for. I've got relationships with his two sons um, that have been long-lasting. Didn't even start with the with the award. It, it was much after that I met his two sons. And when you know the Clementes, then you understand what his father stood for because when, you, when you're around those two young men, you know that the apple didn't fall very far from the tree. Dave, I'm starting to feel like you are a honorary Latino. I mean, the relationships you have with Manny Mora and Roberto Clemente. I mean, are you sure you're not an Afro Latino? I mean, <laughs> no. you, you can you can put the news here if you want. We can do a little ancestry, ancestry.com if you want, Dave. You know, I'll tell you what, man, and, and I, I miss him, man. I miss him with uh, everything that I am, and this might this might make me honorary, but. You know, when I played for the for the Dodgers, um, I lived my first year in the big leagues uh, with uh, Babo Castillo. That was my that was my oh, roomie, my roomie. <laughs> and uh, Babo Babo, uh, he gave me a bedroom in his house, and I lived with Babo my first year in the big leagues. And so Babo and I, 
Man, we were thick as thieves back in the day, all the way up until the day that he died. Um, many meals uh, at his mother's house uh, on Sundays after the day games, and you know, riding around with Babo through East LA and and getting an opportunity to know all of the people that were uh, a part of his youth and of his life. I kind of feel like I'm honorary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm so, and, and for those of you guys who don't know who Bobo is that he's referring to, it's Bobby Castillo. Dave, I, I feel like Bobby Castillo has become a footnote because everybody just sits there and talks about the fact that he taught Valenzuela the screwball. Can you tell us something about Bobby Castillo so people can remember him for more than just being the guy who taught Valenzuela the screwball? Bobo was just, like I said... Uh, I, I'm a witness of, of his gratitude and, and, and the individual that he was. He was. I mean, it would be easy for Bobo to say, hey, you know, you can come and stay with me for a couple of weeks and, you know, find a place um, when, you, when you can. But he never did. Um, and he never, ever forced me to look for a place. And, and I never felt like I, uh, you know how they say, don't, don't overstay your welcome. I never felt that I overstayed my welcome. Um, Bobo and I went to the park together. We came back home together. We ate our meals together. I was at his parents' house like they were my parents. That, to me, is a brother, and that's how Bobby was for me. Uh, real quick, was Fernando Mania really as crazy as, as everyone says? Everybody, like Dale Murphy was telling us stories in Atlanta that he was just like looking around the stands going like, where did all these Mexicans come from? You know, I, I mean, we, we see the documentaries and even then I don't think it translates. I don't, I mean, you tell me you were there. Is Was it that crazy? Brother, brother you can never understand the craziness of the day that Fernando pitched. Um, the fans were coming from everywhere. And, you know, you think that it was just Los Angeles. It was everywhere that he pitched. People were coming to the ballparks. He was selling out every Major League Stadium in baseball. Unbelievable at his age to do the things that he did, to do it with the maturity and the composure, because all eyes were on him. He wasn't just a pitcher either. Fernando could hit. Yeah, yeah. He was a great hitter as well. So um, you would have no idea. I mean, people are talking about Otani now. Well, Fernando was double Otani in the 80s. That's how tremendous he was for the game for Los Angeles, for the Dodgers. And look at that. You guys end up throwing a no-hitter on the same day. You both wore 34, but guess what? Your 34 got retired before his 34, so you got him beat on that. Uh, I'm going to gonna... tell you this, though. You, you may not know this, and I'm sorry. I, I, and then I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. Go right ahead. I'll, I'll tell you what you don't know. Fernando Valenzuela's number in the Mexican Summer League, number 34, will never be worn on any team ever again. His number is retired in Mexico. Well, I, I hate to disappoint you, Dave. We did know that because we were the ones that were giving the Dodgers grief about, you guys need to retire his jersey. This is embarrassing. You guys don't give out the number 34. I mean, it's been 40 years since Fernando Mania, and every time I go to Dodger Stadium, Dave, all I see are people wearing Fernando Valenzuela jerseys. Yeah. I think he yeah. sells more jerseys 
than any current player. That's the reason yeah. why you have all these Latinos in the stands. It's because their parents, their grandparents saw Valenzuela and dragged us to Dodger Stadium. Yep. And then we saw this fat little Mexican kid and we could relate. <laughs> We're like, hey, that dude looks like me. And that's why I think to bring it full circle, this conversation, I think what you're doing with Nashville is important. I think it's important, especially for youth, to see people that look like them because it sends the message, I could do that. I yes. I, I, I can do that. And and uh, I, I applaud you for that, Dave. And uh, I, I agree, I agree with gonna, you 100%. They should retire Fernando's number. They should do it. They're finally doing it in August, Dave. We won. Outstanding. We're finally doing it. Um, so we're uh, Dave, we're going to end the show the way we always end the show. Uh, the Bleed Los podcast is a Dodger-centric podcast. We're about Los Angeles, and we're about the cultura. So these are rapid-fire questions. We call these our kickback questions because in the carne asada, we just like to hang out and chat with our friends about baseball. Mm -hmm. So these are quick-fire questions. You can give us a longer answer if you want. Um, first one. The nickname Smoke may be the greatest nickname ever. Who gave you that nickname? Please don't tell me you gave it to yourself. No, I didn't give it to myself. Actually, <laughs> he, the guy who gave me that name, we played together in Little League Baseball, and he was a Dodger as well. A guy named Michael Tack Wilson gave me that nickname when we were in Little League. So you were throwing heat in Little League too? I was a catcher then, so I was throwing it from behind the plate to second base. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, I have to ask you, this is just me, my personal uh, question. You played with Ricky Henderson. Did Ricky Henderson refer to himself in the third person even when the camera wasn't on? Was he pulling the Ricky on you guys in the locker room? Well, I've known Ricky since we were kids, so... Ricky didn't pull that third person on me, but he did use the third person a lot with people who, you know, he didn't really know very well or who didn't know him very well. He, yes, he did. <laughs> okay. Um, we are big wrestling fans on this show, so we want to know, were you ever a fan of the male soap opera of wrestling, or did you poo-poo it and you were above it? You, you never followed it at any point in your life. I watched wrestling when I was a little kid, um, and there was a, there was Pepper Gomez was one of my favorite wrestlers back in the day. Um, there was Bearcat Wright was another one, and then uh, everybody loved Andre the Giant. There we go. Uh, last one, we're... We are a big on tacos here. We're, tacos are very important, and since you played in L.A., but I got to tell you, in Fruitvale, I don't know if you were ever, if you know, I don't know what part of Oakland you live in, but if you ever went to Fruitvale, Fruitvale, I went there a few years ago and they had the best carnitas tacos. I still dream of the tacos in Fruitvale. We need to know, Dave, what is your favorite taco and where do you go to get that taco? Since we already know you are an honorary Afro Latino, you, you can give us that information. Well, Fruitvale, just so you know, my high school was in the Fruitvale area. I went to St. Elizabeth's High School, which was on 34th and East 14th. Okay. So, and then uh, my friend, um, Manuel Banuelos, his family had a restaurant called Mirancho. <laughs> okay. And at Mirancho, I used to have carne asada tacos. So those are your favorite right there. That's my favorite. And I even, I can have those 
you can put a carne asado taco in front of me any place, any time, <laughs> and I will kill it. <laughs> well, there you have it. Uh, Dave Stewart, this has been a real blast for us. We appreciate you sharing all these stories. Well, we wish you. By, by the way, that carne asada is with maiz. Not the, oh! I love you even more, Dave. I have been a proponent of the corn tortilla because, yes. like, there's nothing wrong with flour tortillas, but I refer to them, everyone, loyal listeners know I refer to them as the oppressor's tortilla. I am a flour tortilla, man, and it's good to know that we are Team Maiz. Thank you very much, Dave. There you go, man. <laughs> so, so there you have it. Dave Stewart, we, we wish you all the success with the Nashville Stars. We hope that really uh, comes together. Uh, for our listeners, can they follow you or in your organization on social media, either Twitter or Instagram? Well, Twitter, I am... What am I on Twitter? I think I'm D Smoke. D Smoke thirty four on Twitter, I think is 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 what I am on Twitter. I mean, All right. Let me let me be sure because I don't want to give you I don't want to give you anything bad. What am I on Twitter? On Twitter I am yeah, at at D at D Smoke thirty four. All right. There you have it, folks. Follow him. And you're only on Twitter. You're not on Instagram? No, man. I'm too old. (laughs) (laughs) There you have it. But much success uh, with the expansion. And I I love what you're doing. And uh, I I support any way we can help. You let us know, David. Thank you for the time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, man. This has been fun. Thank you. You're welcome. And a big thank you once again to former major leaguer Dave Stewart for uh, coming on the show. And uh, that ended up being a lot more Dodger uh, related stories than I thought it was going to be babyface. To tell you the truth, I, I thought we were going to spend the majority. We wanted to talk about the expansion team. Um, so there's just a couple of things that I wanted to hit on in terms of, of that interview. Um, I, I would what I want to start with, of course, right from the bat, he's dropping the Espanol with us, but, I have yet to hear anyone say anything bad about Manny Mota. And he was recently honored at Dodger Stadium. They put him in the Legends of Baseball for the Dodgers. And now I'm starting to think maybe that took a little too long to honor Manny Mota. Like everyone that we talk to just raves about Manny Mota. Manny Mota is on our Latino Legends of Dodgers baseball shirt, which is available on our Bleed Los website. So if you want to get your merch, if you want Bleed Los merch so you can rep it in Las Calles, make sure you go to the website. You can get the Friend of the Carne Asada shirt that James Altman was wearing the other day and getting the Bleed Los bump. So if you need the Bleed Los bump in your life, go get those shirts. Um, but Babyface, uh, were, did you, were you aware of the connection between Dave Stewart and Manny Moto? I, I wasn't. I mean, and... It doesn't seem like a natural connection, right? Because Dave Stewart is a pitcher, right? And, so yeah, he was a like, reliever at that yeah. time when he was with the Dodgers. Yeah, so it's like, you know, usually like the hitters and pitchers, they usually don't really ever like cross paths, right? The guys we've talked to, like, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we talk every once in a while, but there's really no, no passing of those, uh, you know, those of those players, right? So, yeah, it, it's kind of like, whoa, like Manny Moda was like, you know, one of his mentors and, and took them in. So it's like, yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting to, to find that out. Do you think that still happens today? 
Do you think that players take in other players the way like Manny Moda like and feeds them and and I mean because we heard it a couple of times from him. I mean, you hear like you know, there's guys that you know maybe are taken under their wing or or they respect certain guys. One of the guys that stands out to me is like like Chase Utley. Like when Chase Utley was the Dodgers, right? You hear like stories of like Kike, like the the mentor the mentoring that he did with him. But I mean, I don't think Chase Utley said, "Hey, Kike, come and you know stay at my house, come and eat, come and you know." I mean, I don't think he did that, right? I mean, I think it's probably different. I mean, the times that we're living in, you know, now, especially like, you know, we talk a lot about minor leaguers and what they got paid. What do you think they were getting paid back in the 80s, late 70s, right? Well, you know, it, it was a story I, I wanted to ask him about it, but we ran out of time. Was But during the in 81, when there was the strike, Dave Stewart had to go get a job during the strike. And he actually, I don't know if you heard this story. I, I, wanted, I wanted to see if it was true. He got hired by a Dodger fan. A Dodger fan had his own company. And he hired Dave Stewart. And Dave Stewart worked during the strike. And then when the strike was over, returned back to baseball. So, yeah, I, I, it does seem, obviously, you can't compare eras. And it just seems like it's light years. Because, yeah, the league minimum now is, what, 100000 or over 100000 yeah, you could you could you could afford to find a place and and get some bread to make peanut butter jelly sandwiches on 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 a hundred thousand. So yeah, it's it's different eras, but it is just amazing, and and that's why I also think it's important. And I hope that the baseball union takes care of all these veterans because of the fact of everything that they went through to make the game better, financially speaking, for all the guys that are playing the game now. I I, I think that's important. Yeah, um, but like you said, I mean, I didn't expect all those like Dodger stories that we got from Dave Stewart, right? Like when we contacted him to talk about, you know, mainly about his expansion team. But I mean, it just shows that that connection still to the Dodgers, right? You know, he has all these great stories of past Dodgers, Manny Mota, Bobby Castillo, right? Like in like you mentioned, Bobby Castillo. All we remember Bobby Castillo for was what. Teaching Valenzuela how to throw the screwball. Yeah, and obviously there's a lot more to Bobby because every person that I've ever run into or, or ran into or, or or knew Bobby Castillo, they all speak the same about him, just yeah. very highly of who Bobby Castillo was. You know, we should really do a Bobby Castillo tribute because Bobby Castillo was there before Valenzuela. Like, we all credit Valenzuela for bringing the Latinos to Dodger Stadium, right? Valenzuela was a Mexican. Bobby Castillo, if correct me if I'm wrong, he was a Chicano. He was Mexican American, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe we we need to maybe we need to make a Bobby Castillo shirt just so people remember the the importance that Bobby Castillo was not just the guy who taught Valenzuela the screwball. That honestly, to tell you the truth, was my favorite part of that interview with Dave Stewart. The way he talked about Bobby Castillo, and for those of you who are listening to this podcast, go to our YouTube channel because you can see the look on Dave Stewart's face when he starts talking about Bobby Castillo. You could tell there was a gen, an, an affinity that he had 
for Bobby Castillo that was genuine. And it was something I did not expect. I have to tell you, I always thought that Dave Stewart, and maybe it was because of the way he pitched, the way he looked on the mound. I thought he was a, a hard ass. I thought he was like an angry dude. And I just thought, oh, man, we're going to get him in this interview. He's not going to want to talk about anything. The minute I ask him about the 1988 World Series, he's going to probably end the interview and just like blow up in my face and blow me up like Popovich. But it it was just it was the opposite. I he seemed very like just tranquilo, man. He was just like and to to get to listen to him talk about Bobby Castillo, that I, I loved it, man. And it's stuff like that that I, I really enjoy talking to people. When when they throw you that curveball that you don't you don't expect. Yeah. I mean if you if you remember, you go back, look at the nineteen eighty eight World Series game one, you see Dave Stewart on the mound, just the intimidating presence that that guy had on the mound. I mean, you look at him just like, like straight face, like he was angry. He was out there to get out, and that's all he wanted to do, right? And and beat you down, and, and that's who he was. Like, like we, I said this to him off air. Like he was, he was one of the guys that I remember. Like, I remember him as a kid, and, and I don't know why. Like, I think he became like one of my favorite players because he threw that heat, right? I mean, he was just a reliever, and yeah. then and then years later, like. He shows up on the A's and and like he's like, you know, Cy Young type pitcher, right? Winning, you know, postseason games. And I'm like, man, we had this guy. Like now he's out here, like you know, trying to beat the Dodgers. Like it was crazy. And then I told him too, like, I back to Bobby Castillo, my next door neighbor and and Joy Joy Joy, I think it was Joy Rodriguez in Omani. If you're still out there, he always <laughs> he would always tell me, he would always tell me that that was his uncle. That Bobby Castillo was his uncle, uh-huh. and, I, and I was like, "Okay, cool." Like, you know, I, I never like questioned it. I never saw him there or anything. But like, I was like, "Hey, cool, he's your uncle, cool." Like, you know, but that—that's what they always would tell me that his mom and, and him was brother and sister. I don't, to this day, I don't know if it was true or not, but yeah, I went with it. it. Was cool. It was it was a cool story. You know, like, oh yeah, he—he's he's related to Bobby Castillo, my, my neighbor. <laughs> yeah, I—I I mean, it, it that it was just a really nice uh, surprise, and then. To hear him talk about Fernando Mania, you know, he beat me to it. I was going to ask him to compare it uh, to Shohei. Like, what's it like for Shohei, right? Because here it was like, man, what Shohei's doing, it's the only reason to go to an Angel game, right? It's like, if Shohei's pitching, I'm going, right, to go see Shohei. And then to hear it from a guy who was there to say, hey, what Valenzuela was, was twice what Shohei is. I think that really puts it into perspective. Like there's nothing that we're never going to really be able to understand that unless we were there because everyone we talk to says the same thing. Nothing does it justice, man. I can tell you how crazy it was, but it's still not going to show you how crazy it was. Like this was a completely rare phenomenon. Yeah. And this is in the, in the day of, no cell phones, no yeah. internet, right? Um, to get a call to to call to Mexico, it was like you would have to call like the operators and like and try and get a bunch of line a call through to Mexico, <laughs> right? And yeah. like so, Fernando Mania was imagine it in this time, Fernando Mania, and like people in Mexico, it wasn't like he was over here and nobody even knew what was going on in Mexico, right? Like everybody knew what was going on. So, I mean, that's how big it was in the time when, I mean, literally. 
I mean, it was nothing like today, nothing like you could send a message across the world in, in a second, right? I mean, it was impossible to do that back then. Yeah, absolutely. I, I look, the, the reason why we had him on was to talk about the Nashville Stars. Uh, one of the things that I really liked uh, about it is the fact that they embraced that Negro League baseball name. I think it, just for historic purposes, just because it brings more attention to the Negro Leagues. I, I myself claim a lot of ignorance when it comes to the Negro Leagues. I don't know as much as I should know being a baseball fan. And that's why when I told him, I, I wish the Dodgers would embrace the Choriceros more and mention the Choriceros because I think that's an important part of baseball in Los Angeles. The Choriceros were here before the Dodgers. And that's why I love what the, the what the Marlins did with their City Connect jerseys. And they that jersey is aligned to, and I forget what the name, but it's a Cuban baseball team. And it's it's reflective of the city, right? They they acknowledge all the Cubans that live in that city. And so I love that that's what they're trying to do here is they're, they're reaching out to the people of Nashville. They want a team that's going to represent them. So... That being said, I don't know if we need another expansion team. Well, it's not that I don't know. I know for sure. I don't think we need. There are going to be two more teams. It's going to be 32. Now, there's a lot of positives to it. It's going to be more jobs for players, more opportunities for them to get into Major League Baseball. But I feel like it's going to. that means there's going to be a lot more teams that suck. I don't, I don't want to see teams that aren't competing you know, for, for a championship or not competing for baseball. I mean, we talked about it in Oakland, right? When we talked about the Oakland A's moving. Yes. If anyone's been to Oakland, that stadium is a dump. It it really is. There's just, there's no feel to it. It just feels like a giant concrete slab. But I, I appreciate the fact that he was like, look, it's not just the stadium. You have an owner there that trades away all their best players. You know, you have an owner there who's a billionaire and whose whole purpose for this is just to make money. And that's what concerns me. So we're going to do expansion. We're going to get two other teams and they're going to be probably small market teams because we already have teams in big markets. What's to stop us to get another, what's going to stop another billionaire owner from buying a major league baseball team and running it like the Oakland A's. But, I mean, I guess the other side to that argument is you can get an owner like the Tampa Bay Rays guy who, yeah, maybe he doesn't spend a lot of money, but that team is competitive. Every year, yeah, you scratch your head and you go, how the hell are they doing it? But every year, they're competitive. I mean, do you want to see two more expansion teams, Babyface? I don't. That's kind of tough because, like, I mean, I, I get Dave's point. You know, I, I'd 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 love to see a team like that in in MLB, right? And then, but you know, even like last year, we talked about like the expanded playoffs. Like, okay, you had another. Is it are the playoffs going to expand more now? Like, where half the teams again are making. So that that's my point. Like, I don't want more playoff teams, right? Like, okay, if you put more teams, okay, just keep everything the same, kind of. Or you know, does it have to be an expansion team? Can it be a team that relocates? Like you were talking about, like, like the Rays. Can it be the Rays? You know, if they relocated or some other team, you know, uh, I know probably would never happen, like cause Detroit, but say like a team like the Tigers or whatever, they, if they move to somewhere else, right? Right. Maybe, maybe 
that's the better option. But I mean, I don't know if there's any teams that are like looking to to relocate, right? I mean, the talk is that they want to expand, right? There's a lot of cities that they want to they want to get into, like Nashville, like Portland. You know, we're here in Utah, so um, uh, I'm thinking that is more of a possibility than than teams relocating. Yeah, I I, I think I I don't know, man. I I just I I just don't think with with the fact. I mean, you look at the AL East. You got five teams that are all over all over 500. I mean, that is a tough division. There is not a weak a weak team in that division, and you kind of wish that every division was like that, right? Where it was like you really don't know. That's what's best for baseball, right? Is that you don't know, and so every game is important. Every game matters. It's important for you to watch this game because this game is going to count towards something. My concern is it's going to water down the par- the, the product, of course, if you add two new two, two, two new teams because you already have players on teams that you're just like, that guy should not be up here. He, it's obvious that he cannot handle the major league level. He's a 4A player, you know? So you're going to see a lot of, of that. You're going to have players playing who shouldn't be at the major league level, of course, compared to everyone else. So... Uh, but it was interesting to see that whole process to understanding what goes behind having an expansion team. And uh, I, I really, uh, I this this interview did not go the way I expected it. I, I really was surprised by just how uh, forthcoming he was, especially because I always had the reputation he, uh, not the reputation, I always was under the assumption he hated the Dodgers. And he got traded from the Dodgers to the Rangers. And do you know who he got traded for? Mm-hmm. He got traded for Rick Honeycutt. Oh, for Honeycutt. Okay. He got traded for, and at that time, Rick Honeycutt was a starting pitcher. And at that time, the Rangers got killed because they said they gave up too much. You know, they gave away a Honeycutt and all they got was Dave Stewart. And he wasn't with the Rangers very long. He got booed. He got booed with the Rangers and he told the fans that they were idiots. And then, so the owner was just like, get him out of there. So then he goes to Philadelphia and then he does, he doesn't play very, I mean, he doesn't pitch very well with the Phillies and then the Phillies eventually let him go. And it's like you had said, it wasn't until he got to Oakland and it was 1987 that he actually, you know, because he was a reliever for the most part, but in Oakland he started, started pitching and then 87 he started showing signs and then 88 he had a, he had that short period of time where he was really really good and the dude won three world series can you name the three teams that he won the world series with babyface the A's yes blue jays yes oh, did he play with A's blue jays I can't wait until you get this one because you're going to be like, really? I'm going to give you five seconds. Do, 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 he was too easy, right? Yeah, yeah, you too, missed yeah, the I, easy one. I was thinking more of his time where he became a, a starting pitcher and like yeah. you know, was was winning like that, not you know when he was with, with LA. 
yeah. he was a part of that 1981 team. Uh, he was a reliever. He pitched in the World Series against the Yankees. I mean, he only had two appearances in that series, but he, they were shutout innings that he pitched. So he won himself a World Series with the, with the 1981 Dodgers. He was a part of that team. And then, of course, he won one in 89 with the uh, uh, Oakland Athletics. And then he won one in 93 with the Blue Jays of, of Toronto. So, I mean, he's got an accomplished resume. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's only won 165 games. Um, so, but, I mean, it's still kind of an impressive resume. I mean, he was an all-star, you know, and he, he won – he was a, he's a World Series MVP. He's won like ALCS MVP twice. So, I mean, it, well, yeah. this is one of those things that you can look back at your career and go, I did pretty good for myself in, in yeah. Major League Baseball. I mean, and it's pretty impressive, like I said, because, you know, he came up in early 80s, right, late 70s, right? He was on that 81 team. But, you know, he said he was a reliever from that time, 81 to 80. So he went to Oakland, then he had that that span of what, like five years? Like he was one of the most dominant pitchers in the game. He like, was winning uh, 20 games, 20 yeah. games almost every year. And I, like I said, I was surprised he didn't win the Cy Young. Like, but he was yeah. in, that, in that, you know, five, five, six year span. He was like one of the top pitchers in the game. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing we didn't get a chance to, to get into, and obviously sometimes we have a short amount of time with people. So we don't get to everything that we wanted to talk to him about. I probably maybe might have been able to summon up the courage to talk to him about the 1988 World Series. But what I really wanted to talk to him about was after he stopped playing, he was actually a sports agent. He started a, uh, a sports agency. And do you know the two Dodgers that he represented? So him and his wife. As we're talking about his wife Lonnie Murray, they they were yeah their agents. They represented Matt Matt Kemp. That's sir, that's correct. And do you know the other Dodger that they represented? Who's the other Dodger? Was it Loney? No, Chad Billingsley. Oh Billingsley, yeah. They yeah, represented yeah. Chad Billingsley. Do you remember when people said Kershaw and Billingsley were going to be the new Koufax and Drysdale? Yeah. As, as we've learned from the Dustin May injury, sometimes things just don't work out the way they're supposed to work out. Um, but yeah, so I mean, he's had a he's had a pretty impressive career, man. I mean, not only you know being a player, but he was a pitching coach. He was the pitching coach for that Show Pods team that made it to the World Series in 1998, uh, and then he was the GM for the Diamondbacks. I mean, he wasn't the GM for long. But and now he might end up being an owner of a major league baseball franchise. And I mean, when you look can you look back in your life and you can say you've accomplished all those things, I, I think you've had a pretty a pretty good career. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, you know, he started out as a reliever and didn't hey, who's just just a just another guy, right? Another guy on the spot, right? And and like I said, he he worked and he really took off and. He had a great career in baseball, and now he's doing stuff out, you know, after baseball, and still in baseball, and, and you know, still building up a, a pretty impressive resume. Yeah, I mean, if we ever have him back on the show, I definitely want to ask him why he wanted to throw a baseball at Steve Sachs's neck. I, I wanted to see if that story uh, was true. Um, but the most valuable lesson that I think we took away from that uh, interview was that. Dave Stewart is a tortilla de maíz guy, so he's he's a good person. That's another one for our side. 
which is the right side. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Bleed Lows podcast. Uh, for those of you listening on the audio portion, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. That way you can be alerted to when we drop new episodes. Uh, also, subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can see what I'm talking about. When you see Dave Stewart's face, when he's talking about Bobby Costillo and you see that smile, and you, you can literally see it was taking him back to to a point of his life. So subscribe, subscribe. If you want Bleedlos podcast merchandise, go to the Bleedlos website and get yourself some gear. Uh, you are sido su servidor, Juan Ramirez, de parte de mi colega Babyface. Nos vemos para la próxima. This episode of the Bleedlos podcast has been brought to you by betonline.ag, where the game starts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.